I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have two parts for you on today's podcast. In part one, I will preview our match against Fiorentina on Sunday. And in part two, I'll be joined by a guest to do something a little bit different, but we'll also talk about the Fiorentina match a little bit in part two. So let's get right into it. Heading into this round, Fiorentina came into this match tied with us and Juventus on 14 points. Juventus, of course, won their match on Saturday, so they are now up to 17 points. However, because Fiorentina had the worst goal differential of the three clubs, the table will show them as fifth place. Fiorentina's results so far have been all over the map, really. They opened the season with a very comfortable 4-1 victory over newly promoted Genoa. They followed up that match with a draw to Lecce, which isn't such a terrible result. We know Lecce are capable of taking points from just about any team in the league, but it was how that match went that would have been painful for Fiorentina fans. I talked about this in the Lecce preview. Fiorentina scored twice in the first half and hit the upright, only to concede twice in the second half, and that match finished 2-2. Next, Fiorentina were dominated by Inter. That match finished 4-0, but easily could have been 6-7-0. or Inter absolutely peppered Fiorentina in that one. Then Fiorentina responded with a 3-2 victory over Atalanta in what was a very entertaining seesaw kind of match. Tunku Miners opened the scoring in the 20th minute. Giacomo Bonaventura equalized at 35. Lucas Martinez Quarta scored one of his two goals on the season to put Fiorentina ahead before the break. Adamola Lookman equalized for Atalanta shortly after the restart. Then finally, Christian Kwame scored the winner in the 76th minute. 
So for the first and only time this season, Fiorentina recorded consecutive victories when they beat Udinese 2-0 in the following match. We also talked about that match in our Udinese preview. Fiorentina were really fortunate to come away with all three points there. They basically had only two chances or maybe three in the entire match and converted both of them, while Udinese had a ton of chances, including a couple of sitters, that they did not take. Fiorentina had the chance to win three in a row with a match against another newly promoted side in Frosinone, and they had the lead until the 70th minute, but Frosinone found the equalizer. And finally, Laviola responded with a comfortable 3-0 victory over Cagliari, so Fiorentina have already played all three newly promoted clubs this season. As you can see, their results have been all over the map. Now, I can think of two reasons for that. First, Fiorentina have had a very busy schedule. They finished 8th in the table last season, but because Juventus were banned from European Cup competitions, Fiorentina played in the Conference League qualification round. That added two matches to their schedule, which no other Italian club needed to play. That, in turn, has forced Vincenzo Italiano to rotate his squad quite heavily, especially with Conference League matches being played on Thursdays. The other reason is because Fiorentina were very active over the summer. Artur Cabral was sold to Benfica for 20 million euros and was replaced by Lucas Beltran from River Plate. Central defender Igor was sold to Brighton and Hove Albion and was replaced by Yuri Mina of Everton. Unfortunately for Fiorentina fans, Mina is currently out with a muscular injury. Sofian Amrabat was loaned to Manchester United just so he could play as a left-back, which is absolutely ridiculous. He was replaced by Juventus player Artur Melo. Yusef Male was sold to Lecce and was replaced by Maxim Lopez of Sassuolo, who we were linked to for a while. Alexa Terzic was sold to RB Salzburg and was replaced by Empoli defender Fabiano Parisi. I was convinced that that would have been the signing of the summer, but so far Parisi hasn't been able to leave his mark yet. Simon Zerkowski was sold to Spezia in Serie B, and he was replaced by 20-year-old Gino Infantino of Rosario Central. Fiorentina seemed to be quite happy to shop in Argentina right now. And then a couple of other players left on a Bosman, including Ricardo Saponara, who joined Hellas Verona, Luka Jovic, who went to AC Milan, and Lorenzo Venuti, who also went to Lecce. Those were the main changes, but there were actually even a few more than that. Understandably, it's taken Vincenzo Italiano a bit of time to figure out his best 11. So with that, let's get to our starting lineups. Rudy Garcia will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal. Garcia said in his pre-match Conferenza Stampa that Golini and Juan Jesus could return to group training soon, which means for now, Meret must continue to start in goal. Amir Rahmani did part of the group training session on both Friday and Saturday. He was evaluated on Saturday, but even if he does return to the squad, he will not be thrown into the starting 11. Garcia made it clear that they won't take that risk, and in fact, they don't need to take that risk with how well Leo Ostegaard and Nathan are playing. Left back is always a coin flip, perhaps even more so after the nonsense from Mario Rui's agent this week. In case you missed it, Mario Giuffredi went on Radio Chiarchi and said that Garcia's use of Mario Rui has been disrespectful and disgraceful. He said, Mario Rui has been one of the best players in that position in the league over the last few seasons. He said, look at how much better Cavada is when Mario Rui plays. And he said that if Garcia didn't want to use Mario Rui, then he could have told him that, presumably implying that they wouldn't have signed a contract extension. Now, 
actually don't disagree with too much that Jufredi said there. I just do not like that he is constantly going on the radio to make these public statements about the club and attacking the coach. Garcia was asked about Jufredi's comments in his pre-match press conference, and his response was actually very funny. He said that if he had to reply every time an agent cries, he would spend all of his time talking about agents. Garcia said he does not speak to agents, he speaks to the players who he sees every day. He said Mario Rui spoke to him, and they have a healthy and honest relationship. He knows that Mario Rui wants to play more, and he said that that desire is a good thing. He added that throughout his career, no matter where he coached, he always lacked a quality left back. We have two high quality left backs at Napoli, and that is a luxury. So that brings me back to who will start this match. Prior to Jufredi's crying, I was certain that Mario Rui would start because Oliveira played the last two games, including 87 minutes against Real Madrid. After those comments, I wonder if Garcia plays Oliveira again just to prove to Jufredi who makes the decisions around here. Because you know that if Mario Rui starts, Jufredi is going to act like his public criticism was the reason Mario Rui got back into the starting 11. That said, I am going to assume that Garcia is going to be the bigger person here and do what makes the most sense for the team, and I do think that means starting Mario Rui. Fortunately, we have absolutely no doubts as to who is going to start at right back, and that will be our capitano Giovanni Di Lorenzo, who will be eager to atone for the mistake he made against Real Madrid. The midfield is something I grapple with almost every match. On one hand, I think we do at some point need to start rotating these players, and we have the options. Elmes and Lindstrom can both play in the Zielinski role, and Kayusta can play for either Ngisa or Lobotka. But as I've said previously, I think there is a significant drop in quality if we replace any of them. Given that this match is followed by an international break, I think we are going to see our usual midfield trio once again. I just hope that Garcia doesn't overuse these guys. Unfortunately, the coach does need to be mindful of the fact that some of these guys will play for their countries as well. In the press conference, Garcia, I think, rightly complained that Rachmani got hurt during the last international break, he hasn't played with us since, and now he might return on time for the next international break, which is a problem. Fortunately, Rachmani was not called up, which could only be because of that injury. Lobotka, Zielinski, and Angisa were all called up to their respective national teams. Slovakia don't play until Friday, so Lobotka should be fine. Cameroon play on Thursday, but their two matches during this break are international friendly, so I'm hoping Angisa isn't used too much, and even if he is, I'm hoping he kind of takes it easy because they are just friendly matches. Zielinski plays on Thursday, and he just about always plays the full 90 minutes, so if he does start against Fiorentina, as I expect him to, I would like to see him replaced around the hour mark. Up top, I'm only expecting one change, which is on the right wing. Matteo Politano was not called up to the Italy national team because Domenico Berardi is back, which really sucks for Politano considering he's been one of Napoli's best players this season. But I'm still not expecting him to play from the first minute here just because he works so hard when he does play running up and down that right wing that I think his body needs a little bit more time to recover than the average player. He played 70 minutes against Real Madrid. The question is, if Politano doesn't start, then who does? We saw Almas play on the right wing against Genoa, and he wasn't very good. He was cautioned very early on and was yanked from the match at halftime. 
We saw Jesper Lindstrom start against Lecce, and he wasn't very good. Garcia said in the conference that Lindstrom needs time, he's still learning the patterns of play. I don't mind starting him against Lecce, but I do not expect him to start against a team like Fiorentina. So to me, that leaves only Giacomo Raspadori, who I also don't really love on the right wing if I'm being honest. As I talk through this, Politano is probably the most likely player to start, but I am going to go out on a limb and say that Raspadori starts. If he does start, then I can definitely see Politano coming on around the 65th minute, and then depending on the situation, we could either move Raspadori into the Zielinski role to play as a number 10, or to the left wing to give Cavada a rest. Even though he's played a ton of minutes lately, I do think we need to keep rolling with Cavada while he is playing well. He has been called up to the Georgia national team, but I'm hoping he does not play in their friendly match against Thailand, which would give him plenty of time to recover for their Euro qualifier against Cyprus. Likewise, I think Victor Osimhen will play at striker. He's been called up to the Nigeria national team for friendlies against Saudi Arabia and Mozambique, but the first one is not until Friday, so he should be good to go as well. For Fiorentina, Vincenzo Italiano typically lines up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Pietro Terracciano in goal. Terracciano beat out new signing Oliver Christensen for the starting role in goal. Christensen's last match was the 4-0 defeat to Inter, but he actually wasn't that bad in that game. Inter just peppered Fiorentina with shots. In fact, Christensen made three fantastic saves in that match. There was nothing he could do on the first two goals, maybe even on the fourth. The third was a penalty kick, but Christensen was the one who committed the foul on Turam, so he was at fault for that one. But Terracciano has played since then, and he just hasn't relinquished that position since. Now, it must be said, Terracciano hasn't exactly had the most difficult competition. His first match was against Atalanta, but after that, he played against Udinese, Frosinone, and Cagliari. Nevertheless, he's only conceded four league goals this season. Only two goalkeepers who have played more than two matches have conceded fewer goals. Juan Musso leads the league in goals conceded per 90. He's only conceded two goals in five appearances. Prior to Saturday's match, Ian Sommer had conceded only three goals in seven appearances. Like Terracciano, Lucas Skorupski has allowed four goals as well, but he did that over seven appearances, so his goals per 90 is better than Terracciano's as well. The stats are similar for save percentage. Terracciano is sixth on that list. In addition to the three keepers I already mentioned, Hellas Verona's Lorenzo Montipo and Monza's Michele Di Gregorio both have better save percentages than Terracciano. However, that's because the teams they play for have conceded 10 more shots on target than Fiorentina have. Fiorentina have allowed 20 shots on target, while Hellas Verona and Monza have allowed 30, so that is naturally going to drive up Montipo's and Di Gregorio's save percentage. Back to the starting lineup, Nikola Milenkovic didn't play in Fiorentina's match against Franz Varos on Thursday, so he is definitely going to return to the starting 11 on the right side of the centre-back pairing. The question is, who will play on the left side between Lucas Martinez Quarta and Luca Ranieri? They both played the full 90 minutes against Ferenc Varos, but they're certainly not going to play 18-year-old Pietro Comuzzo here, so one of the other two has to play. For me, the question comes down to who will be better equipped to stop Victor Osimhen. Martinez Quarta provides a bit more pace to keep up with Osimhen, while Ranieri is a bit more physical. If I'm Vincenzo Italiano here, I am going with the more physical defender because that has proven to be the more effective way to stop Victor. Cristiano Biraghi only played the first half against Ferenc Varos, 
So I think he will start at left back. Though, of course, Fabiano Parisi is a more than capable option there. Meanwhile, 19-year-old Michael Cayode will continue to start over Dodo, who will be out for a while with a torn ACL. Italiano appears to have settled on his preferred pairing in the center of the midfield, with Artur Melo and Duncan in the double pivot. Neither of them started against Ferenc Varos. Artur came on in the 57th minute and Duncan didn't play at all, so they should both be fresh for Sunday. Giacomo Bonaventura is Italiano's preferred number 10, though I wonder if the 34-year-old will be able to play on short rest, given that he played 79 minutes against Ferenc Varos. Now, we did see Jonathan Ikone replace him in that match, which might have been a hint at a new role for Ikone as a number 10, but we've also seen Italiano use a 4-3-3 with Rolando Mandragora playing as a regista behind Artur and Duncan. I think Italiano will do that here, both because Bonaventura needs a rest and because it provides a bit more defensive solidity, and then if Fiorentina needs to score, he can bring Bonaventura in off the bench. I will talk a bit more about this in my three keys to the match. Finally, I'm expecting one change up top. Italiano seems to rotate between three players on the left wing, Ricardo Sotil, Josip Brecolo, and Christian Kouame. Sotil played against Ferenc Vado, so I think Brecolo will start this one. Nico Gonzalez has played a ton of minutes. Only Milankovic and Bonaventura have played more minutes across all competitions, but Nico is simply too good to not play, so I have him starting again on the right wing. And if Mbala Nzola was fully fit, I would have picked him to start at striker. However, he wasn't in the squad on Thursday. He is going to be in the squad on Sunday. But given that he just returned, I am going to assume that Lucas Beltran starts again, with Kuame providing another option off the bench. So all in all, I am expecting four changes from Italiano, possibly even more, which I think would still make sense given that Fiorentina have had only two days of rest between matches. So with that, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to stop Nico Gonzalez. This one is fairly obvious. He has without a doubt been Fiorentina's best player this season. Nico leads all Fiorentina players in scoring with six goals. That has been an area of weakness actually for the Viola. Not necessarily the total goal scored. In fact, they rank third in the league with 15 goals scored. Tied with Roma and Milan heading into this round. And behind us and Inter. The issue is that they are not getting much goal production from their center forwards, who have combined to score only two goals. Mbala Nzola and Christian Kuame have one goal each, while Beltran, who I mentioned earlier was brought in to replace Artur Cabral, has yet to score. Cabral scored 17 goals across all competitions last season, so that is a huge drop-off in goals from the center forward. Beltran has managed only two shot attempts all season. Shot attempts, not even goals. Even if we say Nzola and Beltran are both replacing Cabral, they are still not cutting it at all. By comparison, the central defenders have combined to score four goals. Lucas Martinez Quarta and Luca Ranieri have two goals apiece. That reliance on goals from defenders, which totals five if you add Cristiano Biraghi's goal against Genoa, is simply not sustainable. Fiorentina's XG for the season is only 6.9, so they are outperforming their XG by over 8 goals or more than a goal a game, which is really remarkable and also not sustainable. One thing we need to be especially mindful of with Nico is his aerial ability. 
You wouldn't think it looking at him, but this man is really, really good in the air. Three of his six goals this season have been with his head, and it's nothing new either. He scored 14 goals across all competitions last season, four were from the penalty spot, and of the 10 goals scored from open play, five were scored with his head. He also has excellent pace, so after having to defend the likes of Rodrigo, Vinicius, and Jude Bellingham on Tuesday, Ostegaard and especially Nathan will have their hands full again with Nico Gonzalez. My second key to the match is to be physical in the midfield. This is based on something I read on Viola Nation, which is an English site dedicated to Fiorentina. The senior editor Tito writes a piece after every match where he rates the players' performances, much like the newspapers do, and then he highlights three things we learned from the match, which is similar to our three takeaways piece, and this is something he wrote in one of those three things we learned. Artur is a very good midfielder, and we've seen him control games from deep against weaker teams, but he's also clearly going to get muscled around by opponents who aren't afraid to get in his face. Mandragora and Alfred Duncan are both competent, but aren't enforcers, and Amatucci is way too young to take on that role. Removing Amrabat from this roster didn't just take away a starting midfielder, it took away an entire dimension from the team that clearly hasn't been replaced. While I wouldn't necessarily start Cayusta in this match, I think he could be a good replacement for Lobotka at some point in the second half. Lobotka is fairly physical for a player his size, but his physicality is limited because of his size. Cayusta is obviously a much bigger body. Now one thing Italiano has done to compensate for the gap left behind by Amrabat is pack the middle of the park with his midfielders and fullbacks tending to play more centrally. If that happens, then we need to stretch the park horizontally through the use of our wingers. On the left, we have Cavada, who is more than happy to run at defenders, whether it is to set up a shot or to set up a cross. No matter who starts on the right, I'd like to see lots of crosses on that side. As I said, one of Martinez, Quarta, and Ranieri will be playing on the left side of the center-back pairing. I think Victor can absolutely own both of those players in the air on crosses coming from the right wing. Curiously, despite hearing a lot at the start of the season that Garcia likes physical midfielders, we haven't really seen much of that physical play. If anything, each of our three midfielders are slowly reverting to the roles that they played last season. Quickly, my final key to the match is to not be fooled by Fiorentina's defensive setup in the first half. Historically, Vincenzo Italiano's teams like to press high and counterpress. However, because of their very busy schedule, the former Spezia coach has had to adjust his tactics. To preserve his players' energy, Italiano is asking his players to sit back and soak up the pressure in the first half. That will allow them to push forward in the second half, much like how a boxer might defend in the first few rounds to tire out his opponent and then go for the knockout in the latter rounds. With Fiorentina sitting back, we also have to be mindful of the counterattack. I mentioned Nico Gonzalez's pace. Ricardo Sotil and Christian Kwame are both extremely quick as well should they start or feature off the bench. While I felt Udinese deserved a better result against Fiorentina, one thing we do have to give them credit for is their counterattack and their finishing in that match. For my prediction, I am going to go with a 3-1 Napoli victory. I will give the goals to Viktor Osimhen, Piotr Zielinski, and Leo Ostergaard with another towering header. For Fiorentina, I'll give the goal to Giacomo Bonaventura, even though I don't have him starting. Even coming off the bench, 
He's shown that he is capable of scoring goals. He's done so well this season that Luciano Spalletti called him up to the Azzurri for the October international break. But I think we will have two big advantages in this match. The first is that we will have had two extra days of rest, which should allow us to field our best 11. Fiorentina will not have had that luxury, and if they do field their best 11, they will have some tired legs out there. The second is that we will be playing at the Maradona. As we saw on Tuesday, with that crowd behind the team, we can play well against just about anyone. Sure, we didn't beat Real Madrid, but we walked away from that match knowing that we can go toe-to-toe with the best teams in the world. We can't be complacent, but that should give us the confidence that we can control and perhaps even dominate this match against Fiorentina. This is the final match before the international break, so it's even more important that we get a win. The last thing we need is to spend two weeks mulling over a weak performance. Alternatively, if we win this match, we'd be heading into the international break on three consecutive league victories, which would be huge for us after dropping points in three straight matches. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll be joined by a guest for something a little bit different. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Fortsanopoly podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fortsanopoly pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at fortsanoplypress.com. All right, so this part is going to be a little bit different than anything we've really done before. The best way that I can describe this is as a continuation of an episode of Fortsanopoly Worldwide that we did way back in March of 2021. I haven't done too many episodes of Fortsanopoly Worldwide of late, so for anyone who's new to the show, the idea behind that series was it was just an opportunity to give English-speaking fans, Napoli fans, all over the world an opportunity to tell their stories of how they became Napoli fans. And it's a series that I've really enjoyed doing. Listeners seem to enjoy these episodes quite a lot as well. And it's been just a great way to connect our international fan base together because we really do have fans all over the world. So as I said, this is a continuation of an episode from two and a half years ago now. Though my guest is certainly no stranger to the podcast. He's probably been my most common guest actually on the pod or one of them for sure. Daniel Bowen, welcome back. Hey, Joe. How you doing, brother? Thanks for having me on again. I love being on your pod. You're so consistent and your knowledge and your passion for our club is definitely something that nobody has surpassed since I've listened to your pod, man. So I'm humbled each time I'm on the pod and this time, hopefully I'm not too emotional to be honest. Uh, I'm not going to make any promises on that one, uh, oh, boy. It, but I, I appreciate the kind words. I, I mean, it's 
you know, it's something I put a lot of work into. And there are some other great shows out there. You know, shout out to Henry and Michele at uh, In the Shadow of Vesuvius, Rafa and Raf on The Rant, Dom with Napoli Talk. You know, we all work really hard for free, really. <laughs> you know, we might get a little bit of ad revenue or whatever here and there, but trust me when I tell you that does not cover the uh, the cost or the time. But it's that kind of feedback that I think keeps all of us doing what we do. So that is very nice of you to say. So as I said, you told your story a while ago, and I'll post a link to that episode for anyone who wants to give that a listen. Forgive me, I was not as good back then at carrying a dialogue as I am now. It's something that <laughs> I went back and listened to it just to give myself a refresher. And I was like, oh boy, the, the audio quality sucks. I suck. <laughs> but, you know, it was still fun. It's still a pretty good episode, I think. But I figured for anyone who's new to the show and maybe didn't listen to that episode back then, maybe we'll just revisit your your story a little bit. We don't have to go through all of the details, but I think it does give the listeners a little bit of helpful context. So first of all, most people know that you've lived in Italy for quite some time now. When did you first move to Italy? Oh, the first time I moved to Italy was um, 93, and it was Napoli. It was my second duty station in the Navy. Okay. And from what I recall from your original story, you were kind of back and forth a little bit there at the beginning between living in Napoli, then you went back to the U.S. for a little bit, you came back, I think you you mentioned you lived in Gaeta, sort of between Rome and Naples. And of course, probably the, the key part of the story. So, well, first of all, that means you've probably lived in Italy for roughly 15 years, something like that, I guess, between first arriving and going back and forth a little bit. Yeah, that, um, just to round park the uh, amount of years, you're probably very, very close. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think the first, let's call it, important milestone i guess if you will and in terms of your relationship with the cities that's where you met your wife she's from the quartier spagnoli you also have two sons including mario who's been on the show he's become a diehard napolitano as well which is really cool that you guys share that bond were either of your sons born in in italy or in naples yeah both of them were born in napoli on at the naval hospital in the city i mean it's actually considered Pozzuoli. It's a a small town called Agnano, but it's basically Napoli, man. Like the stadium is a hop, skip, and a jump from from where that hospital was. So yeah. Okay, so obviously between your wife and your boys, you have a pretty strong connection to the city. You've said that numerous times, be it on the pod or online, that you're American born, but you feel Napolitano. You know, work brought you to Italy. I think family probably kept you there. And of course, through those relationships and through the relationships with friends that you've met along the way, you obviously developed this burning passion for the football club, which I think is probably inevitable if you hang out long enough in Napoli. Uh, <laughs> you've attended uh, you know, a number of matches. You've been a fairly regular attendee, even though you didn't for the last, I don't know, eight or nine years, you've lived closer to Venezia, which is in the northern part of the country, you've still been a pretty regular attendee at matches, certainly for the big ones. Have you kept track of how many matches you've been to over the years? Oh, man, you know, I, I wish I had. Um, a, a good buddy of mine, Alex Romo, I'm pretty sure you know who he is. He's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was one of the first Americans that, that I consistently went to matches with. 
He's kept track. I think he's kept every ticket too, man. I wish I would have done that. But, you know, I had season tickets more than just one year. So I don't even think I could put a number on it, man, to be honest. Yeah, maybe 300. If I was wow. to try to think of a number altogether. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've been going to matches since 2005 or six. I always get that year mixed up when they got mm-hmm. back into City of Awe. And, like, I went to almost every home match from then all the way until 2013, man. So just count those up. (laughs) Yeah, so that alone is already, you know, let's say 19 home matches. Call it 20 just to make the math easier. Over six or seven years, that's 120, 140 matches just there. And that doesn't include any matches you've attended since then, which have, like I said, been fairly regularly, uh, you know, certainly all the big matches. You know, you talked about on, on the first time you came on Fort Sinopoli Worldwide, the fan club that you had started, which was a really cool thing to kind of help English speakers or Americans arrange to get tickets and transportation to go to and from matches. And you've also attended some Ritiri and Dimaro or Castel di Sangro over the years. Mm-hmm. So through both the fan club and you've had the opportunity to meet a number of players and get autographs and so on are there any specific players that you're most grateful to have met most grateful or Um, just just something that you'll look back on and say you know it's so cool that that i got to meet i know you've talked about levetsi previously is probably a big one so like levetsi has always been my favorite player and being able to meet him in a a non-cultural environment and just see how he interacted with people in a normal situation was really, really cool. And he was Mario's favorite player too. You know what I mean? So the moments that I've had, you know, supporting him and cheering him on with my son is, uh, I mean, to be honest, man, if it, um, if it wasn't for my relationship with my son, I don't know if I would have liked Levetsi, uh you know, as much as I did, to be honest. You know, and then seeing my son ball his eyes out when when he left, it's something I won't forget, you know what I mean? And then how can you not love that player when he played? I mean, his passion on the pitch was something that you only, that you rarely see, you know what I mean? So he was just so much fun to watch. And then he was a badass too, man. The dude was cool as hell. It wasn't like he was just all about passion on the pitch. And, you know, the the dude just, he had a great, like a fiery personality. And he connected with the the city so well that it just, it made everybody fall in love with him, man. So by far, he's been the most enjoyable to watch. And then being able to meet him the way I did with my family all together at once was really, really special, man. And then the time I met Cavani, man, Cavani has got to be the most humble guy ever that I've seen when it comes to meeting the players, just the way he is with the fans and how sincere he is. You know, Oseman's the same way, man. He's very sincere, too, when when he's meeting with the fans. So those are the first three players that, that come to mind are those three that I've met that were most enjoyable because it seemed like they really enjoyed meeting the fans whenever I saw him too. So, yeah. I was actually going to mention Osiman because the way you're describing both of those guys, he's almost like a blend of the two of them, right? Like he, he has the same passion 
that Lavezzi has, certainly on the pitch. I mean, Lavezzi was a little bit pazzo. <laughs> I guess you could say so is Victor in a way. Lavezzi also has the Argentinian connection, which is, you know, kind of hard to replicate for a Napoli fan. And then, of course, you know, the humility that you talked about. Osiman does have that humility of Cavani, and they're both just crazy goal scorers. And I think you met Osiman as well recently, right? Yeah, I've met him a couple times. The most recent was uh, when my son was over for the summer to uh, to see some games at the end of the season. And, dude, man, we snuck into the training center that day. Like, I wasn't invited, bro. We just, oh, like, really? I so, okay, tell me this yeah, story. Man, we, I don't dude, recall bro, hearing the story. No, man, we just drove up and showed our U.S. IDs and pretended we were staying at the hotel. <laughs> okay, yeah, I did not know this. <laughs> well, I mean, that is, you know, <coughs> thinking back to that original episode, I think you said that the game that kind of really made you a Napoli fan, or I guess the, the first memory you can you can recall was, I think it was the exhibition match in 2005 that, Maradona kind of returned mm-hmm. to Napoli, which is obviously like a gigantic occasion in that city. And you mentioned, you know, people throwing their kids from one adult to another over the fence. So it's kind of uh, the fact that you kind of snuck into training feels kind of true to the spirit <laughs> of uh, of what happens in the city. I mean, it doesn't always go great. I, I think there were some people who didn't get into the Champions League match the other day because of, you know, their ticket had been scammed or whatever. But, you know, I guess it's all part and parcel of being a, a football fan. But, you know, the reason I, I even ask you these questions, because I wanted to kind of give the listener a bit of a, an impression of both, you know, what the city means to you personally and, and how, how much the football club has come to mean to you. And unfortunately, the reason you're on the pod today is because you're going to be saying Arrivederci to one of those things. It's certainly not the football club. You posted on x the other day that you'll be leaving your adopted home and you know i think i'm just going to hand the mic over to you for a minute and give you all the time you need just to to say what you need to say about that i think this was also partly intended to be a bit of a therapy session to to let you have a minute to get some (laughs) some thoughts (laughs) get some ideas or you know get it off your chest so I think I've spoken enough as it is. Uh, people are probably tired of hearing my voice by now. <laughs> but uh, why don't I hand it over to you and just whatever you want to talk about, the, the floor is yours. Well, thanks, Joe. Um, I appreciate you letting me just uh, talk about it a little bit and just to express what Napoli has meant to me. So my family is Napoletani, right? I'm American. I don't have anything to do with Napoli when it comes to before I, you know, I got stationed there. So I don't have any history in my family, nobody that, you know, came over from there or anything like that. I don't, you know, and almost everybody else does. And sometimes it makes me feel like I'm a little bit, like, to be honest, especially at the very beginning, get into social media, I almost felt like I didn't belong. But the one thing that um, I can say about our community is that didn't last very long. So many people that have a real connection to the city when it comes to their family or their bloodline and how they've welcomed me has been the most special thing over the last few years, especially when you think about COVID and how COVID really took over our lives for such a long time. And being able to have 
a pod like yourself to listen to when nobody could go to the stadium and just all the different interactions online is over these last few years, that's been what's been that that's what's been most memorable for me is the social media community that we have. We're so close and and how many people I've been able to meet that made the trip to Napoli, it's by far what I'm going to miss the most is meeting with fans in the city where we support our club. You know what I mean? That was just awesome. All those times going to the uh, the wine bars, we call it, to get the tickets and meet up with Michele. And, you know, it's just a special thing. And then to see all that support and everything that everybody's been through and then to be present for that Sudetto, man. Oh. It's going to be one of the, the things that I remember on my deathbed guaranteed like it, when i'm getting ready to die and all the things that i'm thinking about it will be one of the things is that experience over these last few years you know all the years that i've been here and all the different games that are memorable to me are special too but the number one thing has been our community our community is it's amazing it's just incredible we have so many different fans from so many different parts of the world, it's insane to me. And our fans are fans for the right reason. You know, we're not fair-weather fans, you know. You know how much we've been through? So that's what makes our community so close-knit. So, yeah, man, that's what I miss the most. And um, I'm already trying to figure out what I'm going to do in California. And there is a Napoli club out there. <laughs> but the dude on Twitter said they got like 10 people in it, man. So we got to work on that, man. All the big clubs are out there on the East Coast. So we got some work to do, but we'll see where that goes. It would be really, really cool to have something that is even a mimic of the clubs out on the East Coast, like, uh, you know, Tri-State or like the club in Toronto with, you know, NCT. It would be really nice if we were able to get something like that. But it's going to be a lot more difficult because there's just not as many of us all the way over there on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly one of the the positives, right? I try to be a glass half full guy, um, despite being a Napoli fan, which is hard to do sometimes. A little bit easier, obviously, over the last few years. And uh, I think for every door that closes, another one opens up. And that's the positive, right? You've, uh, as you said, through social media, especially over the last few years, particularly during the lockdown, this community has really grown. And I've interacted with fans all over the world, but predominantly because it's an English speaking podcast, most of them are in North America. And a lot of us have had the opportunity to meet. We're not so fortunate to be able to go to matches so regularly because you have to plan like a two week trip, at least a week, <laughs> to make it worth your while to fly all the way there to watch a match. But, you know, we kind of make up for that and not that you can replicate the atmosphere of the stadium, obviously, but the next best thing for us is to get together in these fan clubs and someone does the goal announcement, whether it's Carm in Toronto or Rafa in New York or whatever, right? And and it does still give you that sense of community. So you'll have the opportunity to have that experience with fans on this side of the Atlantic. And even if it means, uh, you know, the occasional couple hour drive to New York, let's say. I'm sure you've made the long drive to watch Napoli games in Italy, whether it's away matches or so on. You know, it's an opportunity to meet a whole different 
set of Napoli fans that some of them you might have met at that school, that whole crazy party that for sure will will always go down as a, a never forget moment. But it's a different experience, different people. And of course, I mentioned that family was sort of what kept you there. And, and now family will bring you back to the US because obviously, you know, this is a, a reunion for you with your, your boys and your wife, right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I was trying to make it work where, you know, we could all create and have a future here in Italy. And it was just getting too difficult, man. So got to go back and be with the wife. I miss her so much. You know, coming home to an empty house, man, is just, it's gotten to the point where it's really, really hard to deal with. You know what I mean? And I really wanted us to, to build a life here as a family and be together still. And it just hasn't worked out. So I can't wait to get back. You know, I'm going to a nice area in California, thank God, because the area I was at before in Lemoore, California, oh, it's 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 not California, let's put it that way. It's in the middle of nowhere in the desert or farmland. Um, but I'm going to a much nicer area that's going to be near the water. And, you know, I'm trying to tell myself that it's the, it's the Gaeta of California. Because Gaeta, when I was there for six years, Oh man, it was it was paradise, man. So I'm trying to tell myself that just to keep everything positive. The fact that I'll be able to watch games with my son all the time is going to be really really special for me. So I'm really looking forward to that. No, absolutely. And look, it's not like you're never going to go back to Naples either. I'm sure you know it's harder, but I'm sure you'll be able to go back there when you can and I, I think certainly for for those of us on on this side of the world when you do get to go your appreciation for it is just like a hundred times more because it's it's just that much harder to do right not not that people there don't appreciate going to games or whatever but you probably it's like me going to a, a toronto maple leafs game or a toronto raptors game it's kind of like you take it for granted a little bit because it's so accessible when it's not so accessible i think your appreciation for not just the football matches but the city as a whole is just on another level so hopefully you'll be able to get there get back there soon and and with the whole family right yeah absolutely and then just talking about you know the city and the napolitani man um so like the last few days i was in napoli saying goodbye to family and friends and you know and trying to you know enjoy a few of the more uh, the things that that you know i'm gonna take for granted here soon <laughs> so yeah i'm sure i'll be back i won't be able to come back whenever i want which is going to be hard to deal with whenever it happens the first time and i'm really you know wanting to actually be there for for whatever may be going on um something with the family or you know a big match or anything like that you know just going to the the beaches and yeah it won't be easy to deal with man but what's going to make it a whole lot easier is that I'm going to have my family next to me. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I say this, well, I don't say too often, but, and, and it's not something that I say lightly easier either, but you know, in, in the just awful circumstance where if I had to choose between my family and the football club, I love for the football club. Obviously, I, I do a podcast. Actually, last episode was a 300th normal episode. I think we're up to like 360 now. But I would give up the club in a heartbeat for my family. And and again, I, I don't say that lightly. To me, just that's how much I, I value family. And, you know, I think that's what's going to make this 
maybe not easy for you, but I think certainly uh, I think you're making the right decision here. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, and like I said before, you know, trying to get them to be here, and it just it yeah. didn't work. So it's time to go back to Cali. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, I'm not sure if there was anything else uh, you wanted to chat about, or I think we could probably wrap it up there. But uh, any final thoughts before we do? No, um, hopefully that, uh, you know, just talk about Napoli themselves just for a second. Um, and I know that part of your pod is going to be to preview the Fiorentina match. Um, I'm going to say something here. Like at the beginning of the season when we were like looking really, really bad, that was like right at the moment when I decided that I needed to get back to California and it had nothing to do with each other. I promise you it didn't. But as soon as I got hired for a job, they go out and they beat freaking Udinese four to one, then Leche four to zero, then looked good against Real Madrid. So it's like, what? <laughs> so I'm hoping that when I get back to Cali, that they continue to play well because uh, that's going to be a whole lot easier to enjoy with my son is if they continue to play well and then I have him next to me and whenever they're scoring or whatever, I can, you know, reach over and give him a hug. So I just hope they continue to on the path that they are now because they're looking really, really good the past three games. Um, even against Bologna, they started to play a little bit better. They just need to continue that on Sunday and that'll make me happy. Yeah, well, speaking of meeting friends, Napoli fans online, one of them is a friend of mine named Mike, and he made me laugh the other day because he said, I shared with him an article that Corey shared with me that I mentioned last episode, which was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tactical analysis of the Real Madrid match. And in that one, he talked about being compact. And what Mike said to me was, okay, so first Garcia realized that he needed to play shorter passes and less of the long ball. Now he realized that he needs to play more compact. <laughs> it seems like as long as Garcia just continues to try to replicate what Spalletti was doing, then we should be okay. The, res- the results are, have been pretty good. And then my response was the face swap picture of it's kind of like Spalletti's bald head with uh, Garcia's face and instead swapped into it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The other thing that has happened since Napoli's really started to play better is uh is not done is starting you know so i do think that that's made a big difference too and yeah. man is he looked very good right he hasn't looked kim-esque but he he's definitely looked like a more mature koulibaly when koulibaly came to napoli very calm on the ball he doesn't look uncomfortable in any situations so i hope he continues that and man if Garcia starts Juan Jesus when he comes back, I'm going to be back on the guard. The, the, I actually never got on the Garcia out wagon, but maybe I will start because Juan Jesus is not the dude, man. It needs to stay with Nathan, and I hope that happens. I'm a little bit worried about that, to be honest. Yeah, Nathan has been really, really good lately. I don't think Juan Jesus will ever be the starter again, you know, unless someone unfortunately gets an injury or something because Garcia always maintained that look we need to give Nathan time for him to be ready so 
I think it was more us as a fan base kind of concluded that Jesus must be the starter because he was playing so much. But now that we've seen Nathan play and, and he's been very good in these last couple matches, I think we're we're good there. I think the last piece to sort of returning to Spalletti ball is fixing the midfield on defense because we're still, you know, as we saw with that Bellingham goal against Real Madrid, still looking mm. a little bit open in the midfield when we're defending. So if Garcia can figure that part out, I personally think it has something to do with how Lobotka and Angisa play off of each other. Then I think we're in a good spot. So and we're still very much in it in the Scudetto race. Fortunately, despite you know three consecutive matches of dropping points, we didn't end up falling that far behind. So yeah, as Rafa said on our Insta Live, there's still what like 93 points up for grabs. So there's a lot of football to be played, and hopefully we just keep going in the right direction. What do you think about them Ostigard? Because he's played pretty well too. And when Rachmani comes back, I think Rachmani is obviously mm-hmm. going to be the full-time starter. But do you think Ostigar will get a substantial amount more playing time than he's gotten in the past? I mean, it's obvious that he's a threat in front of goal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially on free kicks and corner kicks and all that. And he hasn't really, I think that the thing that worries me about him and a lot of fans is like, he seems to be mistake prone. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll shit you not during the real Madrid game, when Dilo Denso made that, Giveaway pass. When I was up in the stands, man, I was all freaking Ostigard and his mistakes. <laughs> I thought it was Ostigard, man. I thought he was the one that did it, and then I realized it was D'Lo. So do you think he's going to get substantial amount of playing time? And if so, how is that going to work out? Is it going to be one of those things where maybe he gets a start every once in a while versus a mediocre team? Or do you think he's going to get substantial playing time and it's going to be meaningful playing time what do you think i don't think he replaces rachmani i think you know we touched on this last episode i think rachmani's still the preferred starter but i think he's done enough over these last few matches to show that he can easily slide into that starting 11 when need be so we don't need to rely on rachmani as much as we have so we can afford to give him the occasional rest say on weeks where we're playing in the champions league and you know, maybe we're playing against a weak opponent in the league, or let's say by some miracle, we've guaranteed ourselves top spot in the group with, you know, one match to play, then you can play Ostergaard in the Champions League because we're already top of the group. Like he's, he's proven that he can fill in that void if we need him to. I agree. I think offensively, he adds a whole different threat because he's so good in the air, but he's a little bit shaky at the back. But that also gives you another way to use him, right? Like we've seen Garcia try him out a little bit as a Lobotka replacement, and he was doing it for defensive reasons. But I wonder now if that might be a way, you know, let's say we're trailing by a goal and there's 10 minutes left. You know, Lobotka is not going to get as much goals. Maybe you Mm. bring in Ostegaard to replace Lobotka for the final 10 minutes of a match to give you an attacking threat, right? To try to, you know, win a header on a corner kick or a free kick or something like that. So I think... I like that, yeah. I think he's done enough in these last few matches to show that he can be a useful player in a number of different scenarios. And now it's just on Garcia to figure out how to use him. But from a defensive standpoint, I think Nathan and Rachmani are the starters. And Ostegaard is probably the backup right center back. And Jesus is the backup left center back. That's how I view it. Gotcha. So what do you think about Sunday, man? Do you think we're going to continue the trend 
of playing the way we are. I think we just keep playing the same way. The thing with Fiorentina is they're a funny team because they like to play a similar style. They're very attack-minded, a lot of passing, mm-hmm. but they're, I find they're far worse defensively, so it could become a shootout. I mean, they're, you look at their matches, and they're like all over the map. Yeah, they're you so know, Destroy Genoa, get destroyed by Inter, <laughs> tie Lecce, tie Frosinone. Their results are just all over the place. The one thing that makes me nervous, which is counterintuitive, but you'll get it, is that they're going to be playing on only two days rest, right? Because they played on Thursday. So we have more rest. But sometimes I find like those are the games where we find the way to blow it. You know, I think back to the Sassuolo match a couple seasons ago where they were like all their best players were injured. And you're like, okay, this is an easy win. They don't have Berardi. They don't have Locatelli. They don't have whoever else. And then sure enough, they beat us. (laughs) I don't know why. I feel like this could be one of those banana skin type matches where you think all indications are that we're going to win. We're, we're in form. Even though we lost to Real Madrid, we came out of that match feeling pretty good about ourselves. They're playing on short rest. They've played two more games than us this season because they had to qualify for the conference league to begin with. Yeah. And we're going to somehow find a way to blow this. Man, I hope not, man. That, dude, that match is so important, bro, because... like Going into the international break, too. Yeah, I mean, so everybody's like on a high, but I think it's a very shaky high just because because Udinese and Lecce are definitely so Udinese is really bad this year so far. And then Lecce is is not the team that they are in the standings. I mean, we all realize that that's just the reality of it. You know, and then to play the way that we did against Real Madrid for all about 20 minutes and we still couldn't even get a draw. I just feel like maybe there's that chance that players are going to a little bit like walking on eggshells. Like if someone makes a really bad mistake or something and here we go, we're back to, you know, what we were doing before we got into good form. So I feel like, man, like maybe one of our top players just needs to go off in this game. Like maybe Cavada can be that dude and he just, Destroys Fiorentina. I think we need something like that. I'd love for it to I be Osiman because and, oh, and a celebration too. with the fans, you know. Because oh man, no doubt. Uh, I agree. <laughs> it feels like we're still on very shaky ground. Yeah, and the tower can topple very easily. It doesn't take much. Yeah. And likewise, even the Osiman situation still feels a little bit shaky. Like, okay, he put that mm-hmm. statement out, which I think you know people have speculated on what it was about. To me, that was just his his own people, it was to African journalists and, and particularly Nigerian journalists and football fans that have been like going after the club on every post and all this stuff to kind of like, okay, take it easy. Yeah. Like, you know, Napoli's not a racist place. They've been very good to me and I'm, I still love them. Um, which then also sort of by uh, implication is kind of like him saying it without saying it, that his issues are with the club, not with the fans. Yep. Uh, yep. And that, you know, removing his pictures from Instagram is a protest against the club. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to give you free advertising. I'm not obligated to, so I'm going to take all my pictures down because you guys are dicks to me. And so my hope, you know, just like how our results feel like, or the club in terms of results feels like we're on shaky ground. The situation with Oseman feels a little shaky to me. So if I could pick anyone to just go off and score a bunch of goals and celebrate with the fans, I'd be Victor, right? Yeah, I think you're right, man. That would be awesome. But yeah, I think I agree. A win 
to have three straight wins in the league heading into the international break, I think would be would be a really good against a, a good team too. Not yeah. Udinese or Lecce would be really good. Okay, so that is where we'll leave it. Then thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Hey Joe, thanks for having me on again. I loved it. You know, you're gonna be a rock for me in about two weeks, brother. You know what I mean? Uh, you have my number. You're welcome to reach out, and now you can call because we're not in different time zones too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so by all means, and I, I, I gotta I'm come to you. Toronto too. Now, now that I'm over in the states, as soon as I have the time and the the means to do it, I definitely want to make a trip over to the East Coast and get to New York and Toronto, man. Yeah. So absolutely. hopefully that'll be sooner than later. They do uh, those two Napoli clubs. I I won't take any credit for it because I don't do any of that work. But they do occasionally arrange sort of big meetups where a whole bunch of Napoli clubs get together. So usually it's like once a year and they might change the location each year. But that's definitely the one to circle uh, on the calendar. Okay, you can find Dan on X at Napoli Debo. You can find me on X at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on all the usual social media channels at Forza Napoli Pod. I will be back next week to review that match against Fiorentina. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.